Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Infra Unstructured, which is the podcast about infrastructure and how it relates to everyday life, I think is that's kind of what it's about. Um, so I'm your host, I'm Charlotte Mitchell. Uh, and the reason that I host this podcast is because I'm on the National Infrastructure Commission's Young Professionals Panel. I'm also an urban planner. I work at Quad, which is a planning consultancy, and I'm just a general infrastructure nerd, really. I'm pretty, pretty into it. Um, so today, uh, episode two, very exciting. We've made it past the pilot episode, and we're cracking on with, with other infrastructure topics. Um, we're going to be talking about visualizing data and the visualization of data, um, which I'm really excited about, actually, because I think it relates to something I want to explore even more through this podcast as we go on, um, which is really around how kind of the way the world is changing, including, you know, rise of technology, rise of digitization, and the changing behaviors that we see, the way that, you know, people my age and younger are making different decisions than our grandparents and our parents did and how all of that kind of comes together um, to affect infrastructure and like the way we plan for it and the way we deliver it. Um, So like, do we need different infrastructure because of those changes or could we deliver infrastructure in a better way because of those changes? I don't know. I think it's an open question and I kind of think this is like a nice uh, first topic to kind of get into to talk about that sort of theme. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm not alone in this room, which is great. Um, I have Sakthi and Vishal here with me um, to talk about visualization of data. Um, and Sakthi's on the Young Professionals panel with me, and I'm going to get her to do a little intro and Vishal as well. Vishal is a, uh, what, data scientist? Cultural data scientist. Cultural data yeah. scientist, that's yeah. right. When I Googled yeah. you, I felt like there was, like, I could say all of the words and it would be true. <laughs> like, you do all of the things. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So, Sakthi, do you want to give a quick intro? Um, who are you and what are you interested in? Okay, so I'm Sakthi. Um, I am a civil engineer by training, which means that I've designed things like new stations and bridges and water tanks and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but I wanted to look at how infrastructure changes over time and how we can leverage new technologies to to monitor and support them. Um, so now I do research, primarily using satellites and other data sources to to monitor our infrastructure, and I'm kind of in that field. Um, so wait, sorry, we're going to pause there. What do you mean <laughs> satellites to, like, satellites are looking at infrastructure or getting information from infrastructure? Like, how does that... Yeah, so more. satellites, they're passing around the Earth all the time, collecting mm-hmm. loads of different things. So, you know, there's what you see on Google Maps, which are optical images. Mm-hmm. Then you have radar satellites that can actually me- measure millimeter scale movements on the ground. You have satellites that can mm-hmm. measure various different scales of pollution and oh, okay. and plant matter and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's using our kind of eyes in the sky to get a better idea of what's happening on the ground. So that's data. That's yeah. like using data that we have available to us. To yeah, like using new and emerging data sources. Cool. Mm-hmm. How topical. Okay. Vishal, do you want to give a quick intro? Yeah, sure. Um, Vishal Kumar, um, born and raised in London. Uh, True Londoner. Yeah, yeah. Cultural data That's one for three in the studio today. It's a rare rare, rare breed, you know. Mm. Uh, Every time I'm meeting new people, they're like, just from London. Like, what do you mean from London? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm a cultural data scientist. um, And if you don't know what that means, you're probably not the only one. I, I made up the job title about six months ago, mainly to make it a bit easier to, to, for people to understand what I do. Um, so I wrote a blog post on Medium explaining uh, the job title in a bit more detail. But essentially, I, I use a combination of data science and visualization, 
machine learning and computer vision, um, urban economics and social media analytics to understand uh, culture in cities. But, you know, obviously all of that is a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, that's and a lot of words. Like a lot of words. And so, so, so uh, and it's completely full of jargon terms. So, so to kind of, you know, bring down the hurdle, so to say. I, ma- I invented the job title cultural data scientist just to just to make it a bit more easier. To Great, so that people like Zachary and I can yeah, talk to exactly. You. <laughs> and like, like very simply, you know, I research uh, the economic and social impact of culture in cities, um, and I'm interested in everything from arts and museums to galleries to music venues, uh, food, culture, uh, hotels, sports, entertainment, anything that fits that bill within within cities. I'm interested uh, in looking at that through using data science. Right. Um, so yeah, I think. At that point, we need to introduce the jargon jar concept because so we did this on the pilot episode um, and we didn't get any money in our jargon jar. So the idea is we have a jargon jar today. It is a bit metaphorical because I didn't bring a jar, but there is a glass on the table. So Mm. let's use that. And it's like a swear jar that maybe your mom had when you were little. If you use a piece of jargon, you have to put a pound in the jar. It's not cheap. This is London. (laughs) okay? Um, but that then goes towards booze, I think, is what we said the first time, which right. I still feel strongly is right. the right um, thing to do. Yes. Um, so yeah, we had a swear jar in my house growing up, and basically my mom just funded that herself. <laughs> so um, we'll see who wins and loses in the jargon jar today. Yeah, definitely try and keep jargon to a minimum. To a minimum. Yeah. Well, we just have to explain it, really, because sure. you know sometimes there are good terms for things, um, yeah. but as long as we use plain language to explain it, yeah. it's okay. Sure. Um, um, so I think like getting into the conversation... Yeah. Um, I'm quite like I kind of just want to break it down before we really get into the detail of it about like what are what are we talking about when we talk about data visualization? Um, so like one of the examples that we actually just discussed before we started recording um, is kind of close to my heart because it's uh, well, it, the example is John Snow. That's right, John Snow, who was a doctor back in the day uh, in London. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of figured out what the cause, there was a cholera outbreak and he figured out what the cause was by mapping like where people were coming down with cholera and then figuring out that, hey, all of those points kind of get, you know, more like fast and thick the closer it gets to this um, water pump. And like, maybe it's the water that's the problem. And he, he kind of solved the problem, right? Um, so to me, like that's the original data visualization. And I guess I'm just wondering, Vishal, if you can give, a, give us a bit of a flavor of like, is that kind of what we're talking about? And how has that changed over time? Is it because mm-hmm. there's more data available or different data that it's like a more exciting field? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, for me, I, like data visualization is trying to communicate complex ideas. And I think people have done this for many, many, many years. Um, I mean, historically, so I, I, I shared a map on my Instagram stories like the other day about um, the, the Northern Line and how, how the connections between... Uh, so the Northern Line splits um, at, at Euston and uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the line kind of comes in from, I've got it here, Edgware and Highgate. And then, then it goes down to, you know, Charing Cross uh, on the west and Bank on the east. And and visualizing that is is kind of cool, and it's, it's, it's someone kind of drew this out as a sketch, and it's and for me visualizing data is, all, is is about trying to communicate complex ideas. Now, in the past, people would sketch those ideas, so even architects would would kind of sketch really complex built environment uh, things, and now it's more common to use computer coding to kind of communicate these things. Mm. Um, one another hat that I put on is that I'm I'm a data artist, so I, I use uh, data and code to. To, to, to make stuff, to, 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 to make visual, to make forms. And I, and I think data visualization uh, kind of, or data art fits into that, that bill. But I think more high level data visualization is about communicating complex ideas. Mm. Now that could be the cholera outbreak 
um, that John Snow did. It could be uh, things related to climate change and pollution that's happening at the moment. It could be related to uh, culture, in my case, trying to, trying to show people where um, culture is taking place, where cultural activity is taking place. Right. Um, it could be a range of things. Um, there's many, many applications. And what's really amazing is if you just type in hashtag data visualization into, into Twitter, you'll see use cases across the board. Um, where people are trying to even communicate the jargon terms that we spoke about earlier, like what is machine learning? How mm -hmm. does it work? Yeah. Um, what's deep learning? How how does how do the algorithms work? And trying to communicate just concepts as, as diagrams is also data visualization. Mm. And like, so for me, there's kind of that first part, which is about communicating a complex idea, which is mm. really important because. Um, you know, like you mentioned a map and my eyes light up because I'm a planner. And so I'm right. like, yes, a map, right. something I can, you know, look at and understand. It makes sense to me. Um, but the other part of that, or like the other exciting part, I think, to me is that we can learn stuff from this data that maybe, you know, is takes the form of like a whole bunch of numbers in a spreadsheet or something that you're like, mm -hmm. okay, well, what is what is this telling me? But it can turn it into a story and like tell you, well, actually, you know, it isn't just a bunch of information about, um, you know, who got on the bus and when it might tell, if you look at that in a visual way, it might tell you like why people are making that choice. Right. And then it might allow you to, I don't know, change that behavior or right. plan for that behavior in some way. Right. And just on that storytelling point, um, speaking of making up job titles, uh, <laughs> I was, I, I came across a job title the other day um, on LinkedIn called uh, data storyteller and analyst. Right. And so, so even Companies are you can you, there, there's there's other terms like data visualization designer, um, but this idea of storytelling I think fits into data visualization massively. Mm. I think that's yeah the like storytelling element is really interesting to me in infrastructure. I don't think we talk about it very much because infrastructure right. tends to be a very like big serious you know engineering heavy kind of discipline. But actually, it helps so much to kind of turn these things into a story of like why someone makes the choices they do because we're all you know, making the choices and interacting with our infrastructure all the time. And it helps kind of bring it back to the like end goal of these infrastructure projects we do, which is like making it easier for someone to get to work or right. creating a job for someone to do, you know, so that they can get their bills paid and all, all of those things. Like turning it into a story is really exciting to sure. me. Sure. And I mean, picking up on satellite data as well, like looking at how, um, the land use uh, from space changes over time. Like, uh, there was there was a BBC documentary I think came out last week called uh, Earth from Space, um, which was super cool because you could see uh, you know changes in the built environment from from satellite data. Um, I think it was coming from Airbus, I believe. But yeah, um, and and you can visualize, you can tell a story um, with with uh, image data and how that changes right. over time. And maybe maybe sack these you know looked into that bit. I don't know. Yeah, a little bit. Um, it, it's. It tells a story. It gives you more informed decisions as well. It, you're not just looking at a kind of narrow dot, but you're actually seeing how wider cities interact with, with the ecosystem around them and how our activities, whether you know it's industry or mining or housing or transport, how it actually impacts and affects much broader areas. Um, and that's the thing about, like, we're talking about data visualizations. The whole scale is huge because you've got, right. like, tiny micro-movements on the ground of where people mm. are moving from A to B. But then how are we as an entire system working working together? So can we get into that a little bit? Like, what is the data that we're talking about? Because I think we kind of throw, throw we, like, like to talk in, in broad strokes about data and how it's super important and that now, you know, we, we can use data to, and then we just say something really you know, big and like profound. a big deal. Yeah, something <laughs> yeah. profound, exactly. And it's like, what data? How are we going to do that? And I'm quite curious about um, it. 
you know, like what is the information that we're getting um, that allows us to make more decisions? We talk about big data, like what is that? It, you know, it, what is the, this proliferation of data? <clears throat> what is the data that we're getting? And what are some examples of like how we can actually turn that into something useful um, to use as, as people and cities and like make decisions about investment and, and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, well, just thinking like on the the day-to-day life, like the really big example is um, Transport for London, mm-hmm. um, who made their data openly available. Um, and that gave rise to hundreds of different companies taking mm-hmm. uh, information about disruptions, people movement, all that kind of stuff, and developing apps. Um, so if people visit London, they'll be familiar with the, the app City Mapper, oh, um, yeah. which City Mapper. revolutionizes the most life. used app. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, because it helps you avoid disruptions and gets you from A to B. Um, and in, like uh, having grown up in the north of the UK, like it's something that's really like useful but it came about from the fact that TFL were willing to share and and open up their data sources for other people so they may not have seen the end output of that data but they were they were willing to let other people um right invest in in deriving insights from it yeah so I find that kind of I mean it's such a great example of like what can actually happen when you apply data in a um in a clear direction to, you know, to a problem, to solve a problem. Um, but I guess I wonder, sometimes I feel like there's so many data sources out there. As someone yeah. who doesn't work in data, I don't know how to get into mm-hmm. it or to find the data that I need. Um, and I think I was telling you guys uh, the other day that I was trying to prove to some colleagues that like yeah. car ownership is on the out. You know, I've never owned a car. People um, who've lived in cities and are of the next, you know, the next generation on uh aren't going to own a car and I don't have any data to back it up. So I, of course, you know, diligently Google (laughs) car ownership, you know, levels or whatever. And I couldn't really find like a, an answer to that question. Maybe I'm not looking in the wrong place, well, but... Well, so I did a bit of research about this and I did find some data. Oh, and, okay. And, okay. So, so I just suck at Google. So, well, no, no. So the thing, the thing is, um, there, it's out there. It's just in silos and um, people are you know, bending their backs at the moment to try and organize the world's information. I mean, that's Google's motto. And uh, Google have just released something called uh, their data search, which um, allows you to basically type in, you know, car ownership uh, into Google data search, and you will f- you find a range of things. So the city of Manchester has something related to uh, car ownership. There's there's a lot of cities. So in... like the city has collected that data. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From and like from what from like asking people like how do they get it? Yeah. Well, is I, it census? I, did, I didn't look. I didn't look at the methodology okay. specifically. Sorry. But <laughs> just yeah. really like dove in yeah, there. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, it could be. It could be uh, crowdsourced. It could be uh, stuff that they've brokered between um, businesses and. Uh, you know, people, census type of data. Okay. Um, there is, well, when I when I typed in car ownership into Google data search, there was a range of US cities uh, that, that had this information. Yeah. And that was really interesting. Uh, but also uh, talking about like data and where it comes from, it, it, I, th- I think a really big part has to do with um, just a mindset change. Uh, s- uh, and there's a, the Open Data Institute are talking about this concept called portability, data portability. How can data be taken out of silos that exist, uh, let's say at an infrastructure firm or at any firm, basically, and and kind of release that to the to to the open world right. and open it up for open everyone. it up. Yeah, yeah. and open data is great. I, I'm a big uh, actually. I pretty much ex- exclusively do a lot of my research based on open data. And um, Kaggle is a uh, website where you can get a ton of open data. Where basically companies uh, decide they look through their you know treasure of data and they decide okay this bit 
uh, of of our data we we've decided should 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 be opened up and they open it up they put it on Kaggle and they make a competition basically they say uh, it's a win-win for everyone because the let's just say let's just take the infrastructure company as an example so if you have someone like Arup uh, they might decide that they have a lot of data they don't know what to do with it. Um, one, a beneficial way is to open it up, put it on Kaggle, get the community of data scientists to analyze it. And then they, they have a competition. So if right. um, if those data scientists come up with something interesting from that data, they, they can win a prize. And um, I'm not saying that all every bit of data that you have as an institution should be opened up. Like that's missing the point entirely. It's 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 about having an open data strategy from day one. And it's about looking at your data, understanding what's important, what could be important for um, infrastructure use cases or city use cases, yeah. and and making that open using some channels that are starting to emerge, like Kaggle, etc. Yeah, so, I, I went to a talk um, that was by Jennifer Schooling, who's from the uh, Centre for Smart Infrastructure and Construction in Cambridge. And uh, she kind of worded it as like, we have all these data sources, but it doesn't necessarily result in value. And and her kind of key message out of her talk was the curation of data right. and how we structure data and I'm how we search almost going to jargon jar you on that one, but okay, <laughs> we'll Cura- let it go. Curation okay. is a word. I know, but cur- as soon as you add of data, it's like a little bit. Much. Okay, cool. Go for it. Curation of data. Um, yeah. So how we organize it. Exactly, exactly. And actually the, the national infrastructure itself, I think it was at the end of 2017 or something like that, came out with this sort of strategy or, or document about data for public good right um, and I think like that's the kind of key focus like how do we how do we get data so that it's it's made available in yeah. a way that people can can yeah. benefit from it but coming back to to yeah to that um point about making it available and almost like running a competition around it I think is quite exciting because it yeah. reminds me of um like in the states when um was it Kennedy who said like uh, we want to put a man on the moon and then it just incentivized the whole private sector to be like, oh God, well, how are we going to do that? You know, <laughs> yeah. and like everyone, yeah. it was like a challenge to the industry almost right. to be like, we believe it's possible. Here's some crazy thing that, you know, like we don't know how we're going to do it, but right. who's out there who wants to figure it out? And all of these people came out of the woodwork to be like, right, I want to be involved in that. And I want to figure out the answer. You know, I want to be going to government saying, I've got a spaceship, (laughs) just you wait. And like, I guess that kind of the idea of like, we've got all this data, it's growing and growing and growing because technologies are, you know, I guess giving rise to all of this new data that we didn't have before. And like, what are we going to do with it? Well, sometimes nothing and maybe sometimes something great. Yeah, there's there's this... um I forget I forget the the law, but there's there's this law in computer science. Um, basically, I think in the last two years there's been more data created in the last two years than whole of humanity combined. Yes. So so and that that trend will continue. So in the next two years, uh, so let's say in 2021, between now and 2021, there'll be more data created in that two year period than all of the. The years combined. And it's like a, it's a hugely exponential increasing curve. Yeah. And data's just having a concept of that is really important because coming back to like what is data, um, I see everything pretty much as data, like the words um, in, you know, the words, the poems from like the, tw- the, the 19th century, just the words themselves are a form of data. And you can use uh, methodologies like natural language processing to understand those words and to, in, in today's world there's a lot of you know voice data or well, this podcast is data mm. essentially there's a lot of video data that's being generated uh, on on social media channels people are voicing their opinions on twitter etc etc that is data there's a timestamp. stamp um, okay. you can look at all of this information kind of blowing my mind right now i don't i, <laughs> I don't this is like not a comforting thought this like exponential right. curve of data i'm it's, like it's oh huge. my god it's gonna keep me up at night but but it causes it, there's a lot of things to consider when when 
when you know that this is happening as a law? Like, mm. how is this data stored? Um, is it? Yeah, what um, are we doing? What about are we it? doing about it? Are yeah. we analyzing it? The problem is a lot of the companies. Uh, a lot of companies are just. They know that their data is increasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're storing it somewhere, but it's not being utilized in, mm-hmm. in, in an effective way. And maybe it's stored on premise. Okay. Um, but I think a better strategy would to have like a hybrid strategy where you take some of that and store it on the cloud, which is oh, um, which is not a real cloud. It's essentially. Um, <laughs> I, it's I at least know that much. Tell, I do yeah. feel like I need to like yeah put my foot down and be like I am aware the cloud is not right, a like right. nimbus of some variety. Right. <laughs> but it's essentially a data center somewhere in uh-huh. Arizona. Uh, that Google manages and uh, calls it the cloud, and um, it's it's and and you can kind of move that away from your data centers and start to think about where to store this data. And I, yeah, do we think like in terms of making sure you know this this problem that I have of like oh god I don't know how to get at the data. I know there's loads of data. I don't know how to get at it and make sure right. it's a good source and like what data you know do we deem necessary to make good decisions? Like, should mm. government be involved in regulating this kind of stuff? Is it involved? Like, yeah. I, I don't know how it works and if we need more regulation or it feels like a relatively unregulated area just because it's so new and it's changing all the time. But like, I don't really know. So so to that point, um, I think nation states uh, are, are realizing this. Um, and I think think a lot of the innovations are happening out of cities so it's really fast it's becoming much more popular and really fashionable for the world's mega cities to have an open data portal right like so um, london has london has data.london new okay. york has uh, nyc.data so i go um, on to uh, data.london and it's yeah. going to give me like information yeah. about like crime rates Absolutely. information about travel and for, like all of this yes. stuff yeah jobs in the economy travel environment uh, housing culture now, uh, health, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so the cities are acting, um, the cities are competing against each other because each of them want to have their data portal. And uh, I think McKinsey did a report uh, in June of 2018 and they uh, looked at smart cities and one of the initiatives uh, that they looked at was open data. And so from west to east, you've got uh, the top 10 cities, San Francisco, New York, London, Paris, Amsterdam. Uh, I've I've got a list here, Singapore, a Seoul, Tokyo, Melbourne, and uh, Hong Kong, and 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 these cities are like global cities, and they have amazing access to open data, and they act as this kind of uh, middle person between um, all the data that's being created in their city, and they kind of curate it, uh, organize it, and put it on the portals. And you know, I, as I as I mentioned earlier, I exclusively use uh, a lot of this data mm. just to understand, you know, what's going on in Amsterdam at the moment. I was just there a couple of weeks ago, and you can look at all the boat data. You can look at, um, at some cycling data. You can look at a range mm. of things just on these portals. So, like, we're naturally getting better at this. Like, Absolutely. as time goes by, cities are figuring out actually this data is really important, and so we're gonna organize it and then talk to other cities to like compare across cities or within cities or whatever to yeah. help us make decisions. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a kind of buoying thought, I think. That yeah. is good. Yeah. Um, just wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about um, cultural infrastructure. We yeah. had a quick chat about this um, when we spoke before. Uh, and I think the phrase is really interesting. Um, I heard another podcast called 99% Invisible, and they had someone on there talking right. about what they called social infrastructure, which mm-hmm. to my mind, actually, normally we use that phrase in the UK to mean things like schools and hospitals and like the infrastructure that isn't, you know, power stations or or railway lines and that kind of thing. Right. But uh, the person on this podcast was using it to mean effectively like cultural spaces, like mm-hmm. um 
places where we, yeah, share knowledge and uh, libraries are the typical example. Yeah. And um, my mom's a librarian. So like right. I've been really interested in talking to her about kind of like what's happening with libraries. You know, people are reading books less, I think, yeah. and going in to actually borrow books and, um, and take them away the way a traditional library was set up. But like now they have computers in them. They have um, community hubs. Yeah, community hubs. classes. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of other programs of stuff. And so... Um, She's really, yeah, curious to see kind of how that unfolds and like how these spaces become kind of fit for the future almost just naturally through like, oh, nobody's coming to the, you know, to the poetry reading anymore while maybe it's more of like a children's reading plus like daycare space or, you know, it kind of naturally evolves. But anyway, sorry, I'm going off topic. I'm I'm curious if you can talk to us a little bit about cultural infrastructure, as you call it. Yeah. So so the term cultural infrastructure is is, is actually being used uh, with a lot of authority by the GLA and uh, the mayor of London. Um, And it's uh, what 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 they're trying to do is um, they have something called a cultural infrastructure plan. And um, it's it's like a breakthrough initiative, and they're trying to basically support and safeguard uh, cultural places and spaces. So libraries and music venues, um, uh, arts and museums, galleries, mm-hmm. uh, heritage in in London, and and it's called the cultural infrastructure plan. And the way in which um, they're doing that uh, is is mapping it out. So they've got the cultural infrastructure map, and so they've mapped out. Uh, physical spaces, physical locations, uh, the infrastructure, uh, which is related to culture. So you've got libraries, you've got art galleries, you've got uh, art studios, you've got um, music venues, grassroots music venues, exhibition spaces, exhibition spaces clubs, concert nightclubs. venues, all exactly. that stuff. Exactly, yeah. all of it. All mm-hmm. of it's mapped out and it's a, um, an amazing, amazing uh, initiative. Uh, especially so does that already the, exist? Or it does, yeah. Oh, amazing. It was launched, it was launched about, I think... A month ago. Cool. So um, we can look at a map of London and absolutely. see where all of this stuff is, yeah. and spatially how it fits together. And yeah, and not only can neat. you look at it, you can download the data. You can also access the data using an API, which is a jargon term. Uh, an API is an application um, uh, programming interface. So you can you right. can kind of programmatically. I think I've Googled that before and then yeah. close the browser window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> essentially, it, it, it allows data portability. So you can you can access that cultural infrastructure map all of that data through um, uh, software, which means you can integrate it into your app as a city mapper would do TFL data or whatever, um, which is a, an amazing initiative because it's not just, uh, here's a CSV file of cultural infrastructure in London, download it. It's, here's the cultural infrastructure. We want you to use it as part of your applications and everything else and really integrate it into everything that you're building going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the term... Coming back to the term, um, it's basically trying to map uh, physical places uh, related to culture and arts. I really like that idea. So I read um, a blog post by Rachel Fisher, who works for MHCLG, I think. Um, And it was just about cities. She's also an urbanist. Um, uh, And she had this really nice, I thought, really nice kind of quote, which was like, uh, cities need three things to, you know, to work or to function, which are, I'm going to misquote this, but three city, three things to function, which are, um, you know, jobs, connectivity, and homes. Um, but to succeed or be successful, they need culture. You know, they need that fourth yeah. thing, which is like your nightlife. And you're like, why do you want to live there? You know, what makes it great? What makes people want to relocate to these places and, and take up the jobs. Um, and I think we, we definitely don't think about that, you know, like, again, in the infrastructure world, we really focus on hard infrastructure and like the creation of jobs, the creation of homes and the creation of the stuff that gets, makes those things works and work and um, connects them to each other. Yeah. Um, but that kind of what brings them to life element, we don't really 
talk about that very much or yeah, plan for it. For me, it's such a shame. I mean, because uh, at a macro level, you've got uh, massive cultural institutions like the Tate Modern, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, last year had six million international visitors, like that's or just visitors. That's that's pretty insane. And then you've got the British Museum, you've got the V&A, um, you have the Whitechapel Gallery, you have uh, the, the Design Museum, the National Gallery. You have these physical infrastructures that have amazing heritage that are a massive pull factor for anyone that's in London at any given moment obviously we're in this you know we're in this room podcast room talking about infrastructure but there are people right now uh on the streets of london going to the museums and going to the Mm -hmm. galleries and they're taking the tube network they're taking boris bikes they're getting cabs they're you know they're buying coffee and they're they're eating lunch and 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 they think making all these decisions about the built environment uh, in respect to uh something like the tate modern uh, which is Incredible. And a lot of these institutions realise their importance, not just uh, for the identity of London. And London also realises the importance of these uh, these buildings, but they've invested heavily. So the Tate Modern just went through a £500 million infrastructure redevelopment. Uh, the British Museum went through one in 2011. The V&A has just expanded. The Royal Academy has just put down a lot of money. Um, the East Bank is being developed in London. And London it's not just London that realises this. I mean, uh, Hong Kong is building something called the West Kulan Cultural District, which mm. is about a £10 billion dollar uh, cultural investment. Uh, Abu Dhabi has just built Saliat Island and it has the Louvre Abu Dhabi and uh, Zaha Hadid Architects built a couple of things there and Frank Gehry was involved and New York realises it as well. I mean, the, the High Line has just been built. And so these big cities um, are looking at their infrastructure, uh, trying to put a cultural spin to it or at least putting down a lot of money. Like connect uh, those dots between yeah. cultural institutions and like how cities work. And, and that's at a macro scale. And around. it's really important to look at the micro scale as well. Like what's happening in Hackney Council. I mean, they're doing a lot about uh, artist studios and how they're developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what What's the initiatives happening in Camden Council? What are the initiatives happening in Lambeth? You know, and uh, I'm doing, I'm, I'm a consultant for the, uh, for Waltham Forest Council for the London Borough of Culture program. And the concept of the London Borough of, of Culture is to really take culture away away from uh, those trophy uh, institutions I mentioned before and take it to uh, parts of London which don't have access uh, or at least funding or footfall um, uh, like like the Tate Modern would. So uh, Waltham Forest has an amazing program and I'm a patron for another uh, institution called Art Night. And Art Night is a one-day contemporary art festival and part of it is in uh, King's Cross, but the other part is in Waltham Forest. And it's really bringing those communities together uh, just for one night um, related to you know, cultural activities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got it. exactly. Um, that's really, yeah, really cool. I think I'm curious to bring the kind of two pieces of this conversation together, the like cultural institutions um, or cultural infrastructure, um, as you call it, and the kind of like overlay of data, how much, you know, information mm. that we're getting about how people are, well, the decisions that they're making. I think I always think about data. My example is always like where people are going on buses. I like, I'm so <laughs> uncreative about like what data we could be getting, but there's so much information that we're receiving about, um, you know, the decisions people are making in their everyday not even lives. Just, not even just moving, like within homes and things like that. We, we now have smart meters for water and electricity, right. which informs like how we use our appliances and gives us a bit of understanding on on yeah, how we lose electricity and how yeah, we can save on our bills and all that kind of stuff as right, well. Of course. So like all of this stuff coming together. And I guess I'm curious um, if either of you have like an example of, you know, data that we're starting to see and how that relates to, um, yeah, these the cultural infrastructure through the city or decisions that we should be making about infrastructure going forward. I've got, I've got a couple of good examples that I made note of. Um, one is the London infrastructure map. Are you guys familiar with this? 
No, no. Oh it sounds like we should be. You sh- definitely should be. <laughs> yeah, so this it's is kind a, of embarrassing. <laughs> well, this is, this is another initiative by the GLA, oh. which, um, which is, is the a, Greater London Authority for all non-London Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. Sorry, That's a pound in the jargon jar right there. <laughs> We've got to make some money here. We are yeah. hemorrhaging money on the jargon jar right now. <laughs> so the GLA, the Greater London Authority, has um, is doing some amazing stuff at the moment, by the way, across the board. But they have uh, an interactive tool um, which lets you explore current and future infrastructure development projects. And I'm mm. really surprised you guys haven't seen this because um, it clearly maps, um, uh, you know, uh, deve- all the developments that are taking place in London. So you can look um, at up-to-date information um, about uh, the, the location of projects, projects value, um, the funding status, like where is it coming from? What mm-hmm. sector is it in? Um, details uh, about the London plan and, and, and the, how the map fits into the London plan. Oh, that's you, really interesting. Yeah, you can look at business improvement districts, a range okay. of things. So it's like cool. a godsend. And it's visual. Um, it's visual. It's a map. Like yeah. you can look at the map. Oh my God, I love it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. well, my check homework is cut out for me. I have yeah, I to go check it out for sure. Yeah, and so that's one example. And then there's there's other examples that we spoke about earlier. So there's one called Colouring London, which is a really great initiative. Uh, so I'm a part-time student at the Bartlett Centre for Advanced Spatial Analysis, uh, which is called CASA. Um, and uh, that's at UCL and Colouring London is a crowdsourced initiative which is also relevant for uh, urban planners and developers because what it does is it gives you information about um, each building in London uh, in terms of when it was built um, in terms of its its cultural heritage in terms of whether it was you know Georgian uh, um you know, uh, different different periods periods of time, right. and that's really important. If you know you are p- um, doing energy analysis, or if you're part of sustainable development, or if you just want to understand the dynamics of yeah. the, the building itself. I've heard of this actually, and my understanding is that it also um, tracks like if the building changes use over time. Yes, um, and I found that really. I'd be really curious to explore that um, from the infrastructure lens in terms of like when we introduce a new piece of infrastructure how the kind of built form around that area changes, changes. like mm-hmm. what are the uses changing why you know I think that's really interesting so I'm that's like an ongoing project right? you should check it out but, yeah they, they're yeah. in beta which means that they're just about to launch a, a main product and and, okay. and that is a crowdsourced initiative so they are not they they are basically going to people in the community or, or companies or whoever like has information open call for support yeah. and, and funding give, give us some information and this is cool. another other trend I think that we can talk about later about uh, data and cities in the future. I think crowdsourced data retrieval will be a really big trend. Right. Cool. Um, I think we actually are going to have to wrap it up because we've been blathering on for almost half an hour here. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, That was great, yeah. But it's been really good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it feels like we're really at the the beginning of the conversation and there's like so much more to dig into. So we're definitely going to have to get you back on a podcast in the (laughs) future. Um, But thank you, Sakthi and Vishal, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think it's been, yeah, a pretty great discussion. I'm a little sad that Drake didn't come up because in our pre-chat, we talk about a Drake we talked about a Drake concert and I was as like you know a Canadian I feel like we really want to rep Drake on this podcast he needs all our help well a Drake concert um, massively influences how people move around the how city how people move around so exactly everyone is heading to the Drake concert yes yeah. I'm glad we did um, but thank you both so much for coming um, we're going to have a, a long list of podcasts coming up I'm not sure what order they're going to going to happen in so I'm not going to announce the subjects yet but there definitely will be more to listen to um, and if you have any ideas about stuff we should talk about or you have feedback for us to improve the podcast please email us at infraunstructured at gmail.com and we will get right on it so on that note thank you both so much thank you for having me thanks both. for having yeah. us absolute pleasure okay that's a wrap
So if you're interested in what we've been talking about today, or if you want to find out more about the National Infrastructure Commission, then you should follow us on social media. Uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, we're at natinfracom. Uh, or you can go to the website, which is www.nic.org.uk. And on LinkedIn, you can find us by searching National Infrastructure Commission, or you can search NIC Young Professionals Panel.